0: The fall of woman, however you want to look at that, we're going to see um, Eve's sin here. And I, I read this joke in preparation, not different than the one you saw up there behind me. A woman was shopping one day, and she bought a dress that she really couldn't afford. And when she got home, her husband said, why did you do it? She said, I couldn't help it. The devil tempted me. And the husband said, so why didn't you just say, get thee behind me, Satan. she said, I did. But that's when he leaned over my shoulder and whispered, my dear, it fits you beautifully in the back. (laughs) We're going to see how the serpent serpent beguiles or tempts and how Satan tempts. Not only Eve, but he tempts us now. We see the same tactics, same strategy that Satan uses. Uh, but The Fall of Man is the title, and we're in Genesis chapter 3. We'll look at the first seven verses after we pray. Father, thank you for the word tonight, and I pray that you would just teach us. Help us, God, to understand your word, this wonderful truth that you've given to us. And Lord, I, I pray that more than just getting information tonight, that we, your people, would gain instruction, and that that instruction would help us to uh, to really stand against The evil one against the devil. As we're learning on Sunday morning, Lord, the spiritual warfare of the believer, I I pray as these two studies kind of come together uh, for us as a fellowship that we'll really have an understanding of sin and temptation and Satan and how he's a murderer and a liar and he wants to kill and destroy. And that we, Lord, as your people, we would stand, stand as you've called us to stand with the armor on, stand in truth. But help us to understand where where sin began and why the earth and the world and everything in the universe, including men and women, are tainted or our lives have been ruined because of sin. Help us to understand that tonight, Lord, so that we'll have the correct view as we look at things through the lens of Scripture. Teach us by your Holy Spirit, we pray, in Jesus. Amen. Again, we could entitle the whole series, I've called it Foundations for Life, but you could entitle it Origins, right? Because we're learning in Genesis the origins of everything. Chapter 1, the origins of the universe. Chapter 2, the origins of man and woman. That's what we see, God's creating humanity. And chapter 3 is all about the origins of sin. That's what we're going to look at tonight, the origins of sin or the fall of man, And we're going to see how it all began. It began with a a serpent. Then we see the temptation, the forbidden fruit, and the woman that was deceived, and then the man that followed. Well, all of those things are going to be revealed here in these seven verses. But before we even read those, I just really want you to help help you understand the importance of, of, of Genesis. Again, the importance of Genesis, how the world was created, when God created it. What it was created for, man and his creation, sin and its origins, all of these things are important for you and I because these things become our foundation for what we call a Christian worldview. I view the world through these. Many of you have these. As a Christian, we need to view the world through scripture. And how that works in, in application is I know God's word and I understand what he has for me, and I put on my scriptural glasses, and I view the world in light of the scriptures, not in light of my feelings. My feelings will deceive. How many have been deceived by their feelings? Raise your hand. Feelings will deceive. They will, and they'll do it over and over. But if I have a correct view of the world, as God sees it, as God's revealed it, then I'm going to be able to maintain and go through and, and live my life in a way that pleases the Lord and, and have the, the most joy I can have in this lifetime because I have a correct worldview. That's what Genesis gives us, a clear and concise worldview at, for, as concerning uh, uh, our belief in the Bible. So the origins of sin and how sin has impacted man is revealed right here in the scripture. And it'll help you to understand everything in the world, how everything is tainted. Everything is wrong. Uh, Nothing is the same. In fact, if you go back, look just a page back to chapter 1, verse 31. The last, one of the last verses there in chapter 1, verse 31 Notice it says, God saw everything, the word everything that he had made, and indeed it was what? What does he say? It was very good. And I've taught you what that word means. It's tobe or tob in the Hebrew, and it means complete, it means perfect, it means the absence of evolution. It's, it's, God created it and made it perfect. He made a tree and it was a tree. He made a bush, it was a bush. A bird, an animal, man. It didn't need any more evolution. No more change. No more anything. It was complete. That's what that word means. It was done. It was perfect. And that's what chapter 1 and chapter 2 are all about. Perfect creation. Perfect everything like it says there in verse 31 of chapter 1. When God completed the original creation, everything he made was perfect. Everything. There was nothing that wasn't perfect in the world at that time. Now, let me ask you this question. As you look around the world and the universe and the streams and rivers and man and the heart of men and women, is everything perfect? It's not perfect, is it? So, there was a time that God created and a perfect, everything was perfect. The sun was perfect the universe was perfect, and then when sin entered the world, here's where everything changes, and here, worldview, this is the worldview, when sin came into the world, uh, Genesis chapter 3, everything changes, even the universe, everything in the world changed because of sin, the sun began to burn out because of sin, it's called the second law of thermodynamics or entropy, what is entropy, how does it react, it reacts in different ways, Uh, when a baby is born now, it's living, but it's going to die. It's alive and it's going to grow, but it's going to come to death and age and and sickness. We're sick. There's so many people in our church sick right now. So all of those things, everything, including the universe and man, have been tainted by sin. That's what we learn when we read Genesis 3, again, it's worldview. Why is there sin? Why is there death? Why is there pain? Why is there sorrow? Why is there sickness? Cancer? Why? It all relates to sin. When you look at the world around you, you see the evidence, not of order, but decay, right? That's what you see. If you look closely enough at everything, you're going to see decay. You're not going to see things advancing, getting better, mutating into better form, whether it be an animal or a human or whatever, better form. No, everything's going down, down. That's what the scriptures teach. And the reason is Genesis chapter 3. Morally, again, morally, a man, a woman, a human baby, it's born. And morally, we struggle our whole life. Life morally to make right decisions, to, to live right. We want to do the right thing, but we don't do the right thing. Romans chapter 7, for Bible students, you know what that is. Paul says, I, I want to do the right thing. I try to do the right thing, but everything I do is evil and wrong. That's, the great apostle Paul said that. And then he says, the, the things that I do, they're wrong, but the things I want to do, the, I want to do the right thing, but I only do the wrong thing. And he said, Oh, what a wretched man I am. And then chapter Eight, Romans 8, I, I, he, he says, I thank the Lord, and I, now I, I, I just pray to the Lord, I beseech the Lord that he would give me this newness. It, it, it's all tainted. Everything in life is tainted by sin. Why is it easier, here's a good question, to do wrong than right? Do you understand what I'm saying? Is it not easier for you to do wrong than right. It takes more effort to do the right thing, right? More thought. It's easier just to do the wrong thing. It feeds my flesh. It's so much easier just to do the wrong thing. We do it by our very nature. It's natural to sin. Hatred, crime, war, perversion, all of these things just come with life because of the fallen nature of man. So here's the question. If at the end of Genesis chapter 1, Everything is good, perfect, right? Tob, everything is good, very good, God says. At the end of chapter 2, the creation, everything is good except for man's what? Aloneness. And God creates a woman to satisfy that everything is good. Chapter 1 and chapter 2. What happened? Let's read chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent, this is Moses writing, right? This is Moses. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Wait a minute, We, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, when she saw it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And then she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now those are the verses that we're going to cover tonight. I want you to notice, number one, the word sin is not there. We don't see the word sin. I, I just, you might be thinking that. I'm trying to answer some of those questions as we go through. It's not in the chapter. But this is where sin enters into our world sin came into our world when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And that's when everything went from very good to very what? Bad. Everything changed. Sin came into the world. Genesis chapter 3. Romans 5.12. Paul puts it this way. Notice what Paul says. Therefore, just as through one man, that's Adam, sin entered the world. Genesis chapter 3. And death Through sin. Remember God said, if you eat it, you're going to die. Death through sin. Thus, death spread to all men because all sinned. So here is where sin enters the world, Genesis chapter 3. Romans 5 is just kind of a quick, concise commentary on how, how sin entered the world and death through sin. So Paul says, death spread to all men. And he says, because all men have sinned. And all of us have parents. We all have the same parents by the way. There's no difference in, in coloration. There's no difference in, in any of that. It's, we're all the same. Men and women are the same. They're we, the same. There's, there's a difference in skin color, maybe size difference. I'm a little taller than some of you that are shorter. But we all have the same parents. Who are, who are our parents? Adam and Eve. That's, that's what the scriptures are teaching us here. And the Bible teaches that man and everything in God's perfectly created universe, was changed, tainted, ruined, you could use a lot of different verbs there, but but, but by this deliberate act of Adam and Eve, who chose not to obey God, and, and willfully, deliberately <coughs> ate of the tree that God forbid them of in Genesis three. Theologically, this is called original sin. You've maybe heard that term before. Original sin, original sin, it, it originated with Eve in the Garden of Eden, in this place that was very, very good. Everything was perfectly uh, manicured. As we looked at the garden a few studies ago, as we've looked at the creation of man and, and woman, and where God placed them in that special, wonderful utopia of the garden. And the deliberate sin of man, the the heart, the the choice that was made by Eve. That's what we're gonna see. So again, here's the worldview. This is the Christian worldview that we need to have. We need to understand that original sin is what causes death, is what causes me even. That's why I'm a sinner. Because I inherited, you inherited from your parents, who were they? Adam and Eve. What did they do? They deliberately sinned against God. We are the offspring of Adam and Eve. You are sons of Adam. You are daughters of Eve. That's, that's what the Bible teaches. And you inherited the sin nature. It's called original sin. That's what the Bible teaches. Again, this, this helps us with a worldview. Why is there so much sin? Why is there so much pain? Why? And what's going to happen with all this? And we're going to see a little bit of that tonight, how, how wonderful God shows his mercy on this backdrop of sin and darkness and, and evil, we're going to see how marvelous and beautiful God's mercy and love is compared to sin. Bible-believing Christians understand that all, all humanity has a corrupt nature and that, that uh, everything about me is corrupt. Think about this, and I, I, I'm, I'm not going to point the finger at you. I'll point it at me. My thought life is corrupt. My, my thought life is corrupt. I, I can go anywhere with my thoughts. Can you? Can you? And they're corrupt, emotions, behaviors—they're all corrupt. All humans are fallen sinners, and the, that the source of the source of sin really is the human heart. Jeremiah seventy-nine. You know the verse. Notice this one: the heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. Wicked—that's what the Bible says about your heart. New Testament, Romans three twenty-three: all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The next scripture there, Romans 3.23. So again, our Christian worldview is that we are not perfect and that everything in the world around us has been affected by sin. And it's Genesis 3 that helps us understand that this is crucial for you as a believer to understand the rest of the scriptures. You've got to get these. That's why Genesis is such a Powerful study in the life of the believer. You study this, Christian, and it'll change you. It'll help you. It'll assist you in everything and understanding the scriptures as you read the New Testament. So, the first question here we'll start with the study here. The first question, throw it up on the screen what is sin? What is it? Well, let me give you a couple of short answers and descriptions from the Bible, real quick. Number one, it's lawlessness. Any violation of God's law. 1 John 3, verse 4. Whoever commits sin, also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Sin is a violation of God's law. In other words, God has a standard, and when you go against it, when you think against it, when you act against it, then you're considered lawless. That's what the Scriptures teach us. When God says to trust him in his word, and you don't, guess what you just did? I mean, think about that. God says, trust me. Put all your faith in me. And then we go, oh, but, but, but my bank account, oh, but, but my job, oh, my, my, my marriage. You know, I'm so worried about all those things. Wait, trust me, God says. Trust me. Do you trust God? Because if you don't trust God, guess what? What is that? It's sin. I know, however I read this, it always, God gets me too. Because I have to think of all these things and, and I'm, Lord, forgive me. God, help me. It's lawlessness. That's the point here. When you know to do right and don't do it, that's sin. As a Christian, God gives us the right, standard righteousness. We're supposed to live up to that. Here's a quote I want you to see. Sin is defined throughout Scripture as any breach of God's law. Any breach of God's law. When you, when you deliberately turn away from God's law, when you scoff God's law, when you act against it, that's what sin is. So a sinner breaks God's law knowingly and unknowingly. There's, there's some sins that I can do, and I, I don't even uh, know. I'm not aware of those things. Think about people that don't have the Bible, and they were trained by their parents or their tribe or whatever, this, this culture. They don't know, but then they get the word of God. And, and then slowly, you know, missionaries have done that, help people understand. The worst thing missionaries have done is dress people up. You know, why dress up tribes? You know, why cover their body? I mean, it's just Stupid. But there have been a lot of missionaries, and, and primarily, and I don't mean to bag on any, any other religion, but Mormons, Mormon missionaries have really, if you read about it, they're the ones that have tried to change the dress code of the Hawaiians and dress code of the Polynesians, and those people, they've rejected that. And so, you know, we don't do that anymore. Missionaries are trained to be culturally sensitive, and when they go into a culture, it's really interesting, my, um, Aaron and Christy Wheaton, who are, are they're Burkina Faso, Western Africa. And those people there, they love color. They love color. Whatever color they can get, t shirts with color and clothes. So the, the women and the men, they wear brightly colored, colored everything. And so Aaron and Christy, Aaron's got to wear these clothes that he always thought, because well, I'd never wear those clothes in America. I just feel like, ooh, in those. But he'll wear those clothes in that culture. Really important. In fact, I th- I've told you this story before, but he cracks me up when he tells it. Samaritan's Purse, they do the shoebox ministry, right? Shoeboxes go to, to, to Christian missionaries and they give them to people. Well, they got a bunch of shoeboxes a couple of years ago when Aaron first got to, to uh, uh, Burkina Faso. And uh, he, was, he was there when he was giving these out to these, these people that they're ministering to in this village. And these people, they don't have a lot. And so they get this box. And in the box, there's a Bible, and there's some cleanliness supplies, and there's maybe a shirt or whatever, a toy. Well, this man, this full-grown man got this box, and inside the box was a Hello Kitty watch. And this guy was so proud of that thing, man. He put that on, and he wore it to church. It was bright pink, and it had the big kitty on it. And Aaron just thought, sheesh. but, But he was in that culture. Okay, he's in that culture. So, so just think about that. I mean, we need to be very, very careful when we uh, share the, the Lord. But sometimes you can sin. You can sin knowingly. You can sin unknowingly. we got to be very, very careful about that. So lawlessness. Number two, I went too long on that one, rebellion. Rebellion. The Hebrew word for sin is pasha. Pasha in the Hebrew, it means Rebellion. In many places in the Hebrew Scriptures, you'll see that word, Pasha, and it means rebellion. And isn't that what Lucifer did? Isn't that what Eve really does? She, she's in rebellion against God. God told her not to do it. She did it anyway. Rebellion, that's really what the Scriptures teach. Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet, said this. Look at this verse behind me. Jeremiah 44. But we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth. That's a really good description of rebellion, isn't it? We're going to do what we want to do. We're going to stand up and, you know, you tell us, God, what to do, but we're going to do what we want to do. That's a, it's a great description of rebellion there. We shake our puny little fist at God. I'm going, to, I'm going to do it my way, God, under my own strength and power. Think about that after God creates the universe and you have the audacity to say, I'm going to do it my way. My. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's rebellion. Sin is iniquity. Number three, iniquity, immorality or wickedness, that word iniquity. And and the Hebrew Scriptures teach, and the Jews know this. They, they, they believe this. This is a, a Old Testament verse, Psalm 51. David said this, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. He knows, and Jews believe this, that when they're born, they're born in iniquity. They're born in sin. And, and David makes that very, very clear. Clear there. Iniquity or avon, it means perversity or depravity. So, iniquity. Sin is lawlessness, rebellion, iniquity. And fourthly, it's incurable. Think about this one. Sin is incurable. There's no known human cure, no resolution. Religion cannot save, education will not save. That's what most people think. The more you know, the the safer you'll be. That's not true. The, the, I'll go to religion. I'll, I'll be good. I'll, I'll put my garments on. I'll go to church on Sunday. I'll wear my tie. I'll do all the religious things to do the right thing. I'll, that's, I'll live that way. Uh, but you can't cure sin through religion or education. Nothing man can do will save him from the devastation that sin causes. So what's the result of sin then in the scriptures? Old Testament, Ezekiel 18, look at this verse. The soul who sins shall what? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? That's what the Bible teaches, worldview. This is worldview. You got to see the world through these lenses that God's given us so that we can understand what's going on all around us. So where did sin come from? Well, that's what we're going to answer right now. Sin did not come from God. It didn't come from God. Now, think about this. God's created everything, including man and woman. He's created it all. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we're introduced to something. The word's not there, but the concept is sin, rebellion. It's clear that sin did not come from God. In other words, God is not responsible for sin, but his creatures are. And here's where, again, worldview, this helps you decipher evil, sin. Where did it come from? God didn't create sin. Remember, everything was very good at, in creation day, uh, day six, day seven, worship. Then Genesis chapter two, everything's very good. And the creation of man, everything's very good. Creation of woman, everything's good. And then Genesis chapter three, not so good. So where did sin or come from? It didn't come from God. Psalm 5, verse 4, notice I got a whole bunch of proof texts because I really want the scripture to speak to you. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell in you or with you. The, the Jews believe that. We believe that. The Bible teaches that there is no sin. There's no darkness. There's no evil in God. He, it didn't originate from God. 1 John 1, 5, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That's what the scriptures teach. Again, the Bible declares that God is holy. The word holy, in fact, holy, 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 when I look in the Old Testament, it's what the angels declare, that he's holy, holy, holy. That means righteous. That means pure. That means perfect. There is no darkness. There is no sin. There is no evil in him. He's holy. He's righteous. In fact, God is even separate from sinners. Again, worldview teaches me. I get to the New Testament, and I read Romans 7, and Paul says, In my flesh all sin dwells, and I'm a sinner, that I'm a sinner to the core. It's in my flesh. So what's the remedy for that? Well, God's provided a remedy for that. It's Jesus Christ. There's only one cure, and it's, it's the Lord. You can't cure it in any way other way. But God is holy, and he separates himself from sinners. In fact, that's what Genesis 3 is all about, sin and then separation. So death, as we'll see at the end of the study, I'm really giving you the, the point here, is separation from God. That's what God used to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden every day in the cool of the day. Can you imagine walking with the Lord every day? I mean, we love to pray, and we love our relationship with the Lord, but can you imagine being face-to-face, hand-to-hand, with the Lord, Adam naming animals, Adam and Eve expecting, oh, we can't wait. God's going to come and hang out with us this morning. And, oh, how wonderful and beautiful that would be. But then there was separation because God, as holy and righteous as he is, cannot be with sin. He won't be. So it caused separation. There, Interestingly, 2 Corinthians 5, here's another proof text for you. For he made him who knew no sin, this is speaking, Paul speaking of Jesus, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. It doesn't mean that God made Jesus, it means that God put sin on him so that when he died on the cross, your sin was paid for by his blood, by his broken body. So no, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We had to be righteous to have relationship with God. You have to be righteous. You have to be holy. And the only way you can have that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith in Christ, you get forgiveness of what? Sin. Then you can have a relationship with God. It's a beautiful truth. But in Genesis 3, we're, we're given an understanding of where sin came from so that we can understand this worldview. We can understand salvation. I can't understand salvation and I until I understand where it, sin. I, I, I can't have a diagnosis by a doctor unless they a proper diagnosis by a doctor unless they know what's wrong with me. That's why they death a stethoscope and check your blood and do all those things to find out who you are and what's your temperature and what's going on and then they can diagnose, right? You you can't You don't know what's going on unless you understand Genesis 3. That's really the diagnosis. Uh, We have a problem with sin. So there is no sin in God. God cannot be tempted with sin. God is not responsible for sin. Sin did not come from God. So the source of sin is outside God. That's the point here. The source of sin is outside God. So you ask the question again, where did it come from? Well, You have to actually, in your mind, you have to go back. And we don't know when God created the angels. you got to go back all the way back there. We don't know when that happened. Before the earth was created, before the universe was created, the Bible says the angel, he created angels. And he didn't create them day after day after day. He created them angels that fast. And they were all created. They don't procreate, so there wasn't an opportunity to gain more. God created millions of angels, boom. But we just don't know when that happened. He created angels. And when he created angels, he gave them the same three things that that you and I possess. Here, here's what they, Listen, intelligence. He gave, gave them all intelligence. And secondly, intelligence to understand things. And then secondly, reason. Reason. So they have intelligence, they have reason. And that reason helps them to process the intelligence, the information... They process that through reasoning and understanding, and then they, they choose to act upon it. So intelligence, reason, and choice. That's what the scripture teaches. How do we know that about angels? Because some of them chose to follow Satan, and where did they end up? Kicked out of heaven. This is a, incredible to me, that God gave volition or choice to angels. And he does the same thing for you and me. He gives us intelligence, and he gives us Reason, and he gives us choice. Think about that. He gives you choice, volition. From the beginning, when did he create angels? I don't know. It was sometime in eternity past. Then he created the world, and then he created man. But man and his created uh, angels, angels and man, this is one thing that we possess that's similar, and that's intelligence, reason, and choice, The bottom line is, whether angels or men, we choose to obey or we choose to disobey. That's really the bottom line. And when you choose to disobey, that's when sin was initiated. When Satan disobeyed, it's interesting that that we're studying these scriptures at the same time. Spiritual warfare, Ephesians 6, and Genesis 3 for our church at the same time, at least for me. I love this, the way God works this out. Because we're seeing here that sin was initiated by man. It wasn't originated. Evil was not originated in God because he's only holy. So when was it originated? In angels, in man at that point in time. That's when it was initiated. Sin came into existence with the fall of the angels and then with the fall of Adam and Eve. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, let me get a little philosophic here, just real quickly. I can't go very deep, but sin, think about it. Sin is not a created thing like an angel. It's not a material thing. Sin, think about it. Sin is not a material thing. It's not a created thing. It doesn't have a body. Sin, like evil, is not a force that floats around. That's something you could tap into like the force, you know, Luke. You don't tap into it. It's it's nothing like that. Sin is a lack of holiness or a lack of righteousness. That's what sin is. It's a lack of truth and righteousness and purity. It's a lack of those things. That's what sin is. So how did sin come into existence? One person wrote, one commentator wrote, sin comes into existence when the standard of moral perfection is not met. And when God's creatures choose to act based on intellect and selfish reason. So sin comes into existence when I just do my own selfish thing and choose. That's when sin happens. If you think with me, on those terms, every one of us know that we're guilty as sinners, right? We're guilty. We've done that. We've made those choices, those bad choices. That's what the scriptures teach But the next question would be, why then could God allow for sin? A couple of things. Number one, so that you could freely choose to honor him. He didn't want to make puppets and robots. He wanted you to have the opportunity to choose to honor him. Isn't that a beautiful thought? And secondly, so that God then could demonstrate his grace and mercy and salvation. Without sin, he couldn't demonstrate his love and, and mercy. So God had this plan in, in, in eternity past. He didn't create evil, his sin, but he knew that man would sin. And, and in that darkness that his brilliance of love and mercy is all-encompassing mercy that covers sin. His grace can cover any sin, is it's illuminated. It's, it's brighter, it's beautiful. Again, worldview, worldview. Wow. I think about sin and I, I think about how great the mercy of God is, how great his grace is. It's, it's a marvelous, marvelous truth. God had to allow sin in order to show his eternal plan of salvation. In fact, in Revelation 13, look at this verse. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. See, that God had this all in his mind, but he didn't create evil or sin. It gets a little hard there, doesn't it? I mean, you try to rationalize that, and you'll go nuts. I'm teaching what the Bible teaches, and I believe that God is omniscient, that he knows everything. He's sovereign. He knows everything. So he knew this would take place. But sin was part of the plan, though God was never the author of, or the originator of it. That's, that's an interesting thought. Sin was part of the plan to show God's grace and mercy, but God did not author God did not originate sin. It's, he's only good. He's only light. He's only truth. A little hard to think, but see, God is significant other. He's, he's other than you. He's other than me. God is not like us in his eternality. He's, he's just not like us. So when you, when you think of God, you can't think of yourself. You don't compare yourself to him. So sin did not come from God. God is not responsible for sin. Who's responsible for sin? His creatures. They're responsible. The angels that fell and humanity that disobeys, that are lawless. Here's the verse that we've read before, Romans 5.8. You know this scripture. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's a great verse. It's it's a beautiful verse. It displays the, the beauty of God. He demonstrated his love for us even while we were sinners. So God's mercy and grace is displayed. His, his love is displayed in the salvation of sinners. How could God display his mercy and grace if there weren't any? But that's not to say that God created sinners. He didn't create sinners. He created men and women that could make a choice. He gave them intellect, he gave them reason, and he gave them choice. And some men choose, and I'm, mankind men and women, choose to disobey God. Now, let's look at a couple more things here. The serpent, The verse 1 starts with the serpent. So that's, I'm answering the question, where did sin come from Sin come from, and, and where did it originate? That's, we just answered that. So notice real quickly with me, verse 1, the serpent. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The word serpent is an Hebrew word is "nekash. Nekash that's the word, and it, it actually invokes hissing, and if you go to Israel, if you talk to a Jew, and you see a serpent, they don't go, like you and I, they go nekash that's what they do, because it, it, it evokes that whole thing, it's a name for a reptile, not, not necessarily a snake. And this serpent that we're looking at right here, this is interesting. The serpent was more cunning. When we read that, ladies, you read that, men, you read that, if you don't like snakes, you go, ooh, snake. That's not really what this is. Because if you get down to verse 14, we realize the curse for the serpent or the dragon there is that he would crawl in his belly the rest of his life. So here in verse 1, the serpent is upright. The serpent's upright. We don't understand it all. Uh, was he standing on a tail? Did he have legs? I, we don't know. But the dragon, I kind of think he had legs and he walks up to Eve. She's not even surprised by this serpent. It doesn't have fire coming out of its mouth and it's not ornately colored that she would scare her. She's not, she's not even scared. If you read the account, there's no mention of fear. She's, she just talks to it, a serpent. And so we have this serpent, not a snake. Because in verse 14, on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the day. That's the curse. So the serpent appears in the garden, not slithering, not, not sneaking around, but this interesting. In the book of Revelation, so what is this serpent? What is this snake here? Um, Revelation, Satan is described as the serpent. And let me show you a couple of verses. Revelation 12:9, The great dragon was cast out the serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Again, Sunday morning, we're talking about spiritual warfare. We talked about the devil. I defined him on Sunday morning as our adversary. But again, here in Revelation 12, we see the great dragon. What what great dragon? The same one that we see here in Genesis chapter 3 is the same one here in Revelation 12. The serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. What did the serpent do to Eve? Deception. He was cast to the earth. What happened to Satan? He, with his tail in Revelation, he took a third of the angels that rebelled against God. They were cast out with him. And then Revelation 20, verse 2. Look at this verse. Revelation 22. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Speaking of the millennial reign of Christ. This rule of righteousness, this thousand years that I'm certainly looking forward to. Moses tells us here. Moses is the writer of Genesis, and he tells us that the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. Here's the question. Why did the serpent go to Eve and not Adam? Why? Isn't that interesting? You ever think things like that when you read the Scriptures? You should. There's a lot of supposition going on that I believe this. This is what I believe. I believe that Satan goes to Eve because Adam was made first and given the command. Adam translated the command to his beloved Eve. And Eve was under the covering of her husband. But she's not under the covering of her husband right now. He's gone, he's not there right now. And he was alone in the garden. She's just hanging out. And, and so Satan picks her off, he chooses her off. She's not under the covering or the protection of her husband. All through the scriptures, you'll see that. That the creation of woman, when we looked at the creation of woman, you remember this. This isn't talking about inferiority. This is God's created order. The man was created first, and then from his side was this rib that was fashioned into a woman. And then Adam names her, and she comes under his protection. That's man is naturally a Loves to provide. He loves to, he's a warrior. Uh, Most men, some women are. You know, there's some women, sheriff and police, and they have all these abilities and training that they could knock me over, and that's fine. But I think for the most part, you have men that really want to do that. And then there's women that love the protection of their husband. A godly woman loves that protection of her husband, and she stays there. In this case, Eve, she becomes away from her husband, and now she's going to be tempted by this enticing, cunning, verse nine, or verse one, serpent, this, he was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made, so he's just another beast, another animal, so uncovered and unprotective, Eve is susceptible to temptation, the serpent finds her, Satan finds her alone in the garden, and, and when I think of this, this is what I think church. I think Eve represents you and me. Eve really represents me, unprotected. I stand away from, from uh, the scriptures. I stand on my own strength. I'm unprotected. I'm susceptible to temptation, when you fall away from the Word of God, when the Word of God just isn't important to you anymore, movies are more important, work's more important, the Word's not important, then I don't have that protection anymore. I step away from it. When church is not important to me anymore, oh, that's boring. I heard the same thing. I heard pastor teach that five times. I've been going to church for 30 years. Oh, brother, here he comes again. I, When you step away from that protection of of God's ordained order, the church and and elders and pastors and people that help and lead and guide, when you step away from that, guess what? You're susceptible now, just like Eve. And Satan's going to come after you when you're susceptible. I think you need to stay in church and be strong. Stay in the word and be strong. Stay under the covering of God in that regard and be protected. But she's unprotected. She's gone away. Eve wandered off, and she was away from her husband. That's when the serpent came. And again, these are strategies of Satan. Satan always will hit you at the right moment. He'll hit you when you're tired or when you have a cold or when you're sick and you're depleted and you're tired. Last night, I I was just tired last night. I was just so in the flesh. And I knew it. I just needed some food, so I got home. My wife got me a big old plate of food, and I was happy again. I was depleted. We get depleted, and the Satan comes to you, and he tempts you. You're all alone, and there's a computer. You're all alone, guys, and the computer, and you turn it on and click, and something pops up. And there's a temptation. You're all alone. See, if somebody was there, or if that was in front of your your, your, uh, uh, bedroom, or your, your window that goes outside, and your neighbors can see in there, you probably wouldn't go there because you wouldn't want people to see what you're looking at. You see what I mean? You're unprotected. That's what happened with... Eve, and I think we need to be very, very careful to understand that Satan will come and tempt us. Satan would have tempted Adam. Adam would have fallen too. I truly believe Adam would have fallen too. But Eve was an easy target, so Satan goes after her. And then notice here, Satan's question, verse, the end of verse 1, and he said to the woman, has God, did God really? Did... Wait, <laughs> is that what God really, did he mean that? I mean, think about what this, he, did God really mean this? You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. What? It's all good. Did he, did he really? He didn't really mean that, did he? So you see what he's doing? He's planting questions about God in her mind. That's what Satan's doing. And, and that's what Satan does to all of us. I don't believe that Satan gets in my head and talks to me. I just don't believe that. Some Christians do. I don't believe it. But this is what I do believe. TV. Uh, things I read, my telephone when I read a report, that stuff, I see it. It's getting into my mind. Satan can use that stuff to influence me. I believe that. And, and he can trick me, and he can tempt me, and he can do all kinds of things like that. So Satan's question, plants he, he plants this suggestion in the form of a question here, Eve, is it really true? Is it really true that God said you couldn't eat of these trees? Again, he's saying, let's talk about what God said. Ah, let me reinterpret what he said. Do you hear that? Ah, Dangerous, very dangerous. Let's question the word of God. Here's the application. All temptation begins with the idea that we have the right to question God's word. Did you hear what I said? All temptation begins with, you know What? God says for me not to look at pornography, but, but I'm strong enough. I, it's not hurting me. Or, or, you know, there's a very, uh, you know, a, I can drink this. I can just drink this. I can control myself. I'll just drink it. I can control everything. I'm questioning God's word. Be f- don't be filled with alcohol, but be filled with the spirit. But but uh, I, I don't need that verse. I, I, I'm just going to take my little black marker and scratch that out of my Bible because I can handle it. Think about that. Dangerous. Little porn, little adultery. I can handle those things. A little sin won't hurt you. You can handle that. That's what Satan's doing. He's planting a question in the mind of Eve, and that's a strategy that he uses. Satan's initial approach is always to deceive, not to deny. He deceives. He causes doubts. He deliberately distorted the command of God. And then notice, Eve defends. Eve corrects here. This is my next point in verse 2. And the woman said, sir, well, wait, wait, wait. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. We can eat all this stuff. But the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat Or touch, lest you die. And here we go. Satan comes back again. He's going to reinterpret verse 4. And the serpent said, well, you're not really going to die. There it is again. See, he's challenging the word of God. Christian, when the word of God says something, please obey it. You'll save yourself a lot of heartache. When the word of God says to, to love your wife, love her. When the word of God says to submit to your husband, do that. That's where you'll find joy. When you say, well, I don't really, I can't, that guy's a lunatic, man. He's, my husband's out to lunch. I can't submit to him. Well, you know, I was out to lunch, out to dinner last night. I mean, I was, I wasn't thinking right, but my wife loved me. And guess what happened? A couple, after I got food, men, are you you with me? When you get food, you're better, right? Okay, I was better. We we go through these things all the time. But here's the truth. This is a warning. This is a real warning for you. Satan tries to reinterpret. He says, you're not going to die, verse 5, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, God knows your eyes are going to be opened and you're going to be just like him. you will know good and evil. It's going to be a good thing. Just do this one thing. It's all good. Again, whenever anyone tries to reinterpret God's word and twist it, To to fulfill the flesh in any way. Beware, Christian. They're they're on TV. They've written books. They're men and women preachers. I I can see, I think I can see it very clearly. When I watch it, I go, oh, brother, listen to that. I say, Esther, listen to this person on the TV. Can you imagine saying that? I just get so upset. And every time you hear somebody try to reinterpret and try to give you this new, new way of seeing or seeing the scriptures, uh, it really wasn't this. And we can add evolution in millions of years to Genesis 1. How? How do you do that? I ask, how? When you read it, when you just read it, you've got to shoehorn it in there. When you reinterpret uh, any scripture, red lights should go off. When you hear somebody say it's new, Somebody said, if it's new, it's not true, right? If it's true, it's not new. And that's very, very true when it comes to the scriptures. Red light should go up. Satan is trying to use deceit today. He always tries to question the authority of God. Come on, you don't believe that restrictive stuff about sexual immorality, do you? Oh, surely you don't believe the ancient Hebrew book is real. It's just a myth. I mean, come on. That's what we hear. We hear that. People buy that lie. That's Satan's strategy. Let me just close with this, and then I'll I'll pick it up next week. When it comes to Satan and his strategies, when it comes to Satan and his temptations, when it comes to Satan and his power, he is so not powerful. He is so limited by God. And here's my point. The devil can't make you sin. He has no power to make you sin. It's going to come up here on the screen here. It's my favorite point. The devil can't make you sin. There it is. He can't make you sin. He can't make you do it. Even though Flip said, the devil cannot make you sin. Remember, you're given intelligence, reason, and what? Choice. 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 It's all about choice. The devil can't make you sin. Why? Because he has no power over you. Satan has no power over you. He had no power over Eve. When Eve sinned, it was her choice. She was deceived, yes. She was tempted, yes. But she chose on her own. Satan had no power over her. He has no divine fiat. Satan is limited in his power. Keep that in mind. Again, worldview, worldview. I don't have to worry about Satan. He's limited. And for the Christian, he's powerless. Greater is he that's in you, Holy Spirit, than he that's where? In the world, that's Satan. You have, you have God. You have, you have the Holy Spirit. You, you don't have to worry about Satan. Sunday, we're going to look at armor of God. I'm going to take a, each week a look at, at, at the different armor that God tells us to put it on. You've got to put it on. You're in a battle. You've got to put it on. You have, got, you're going to war as a soldier. No soldier goes to Afghanistan with their shorts and thongs on. What do they do? Man, they put on undergarments. They put on heavy duty, everything. And then they put armor over their body. Then they put lights and they put tactical gear. And they look huge. Can't imagine. They, they look like transformers. You know, they walk around with their guns and slings and things. But no soldier would. So we're told to put armor on because there's an enemy. But the devil can't make you sin. Although Satan talks like he has power. He has very little compared to God. He's created by God. He's nothing to God. Satan thinks that he's going to be like God, and he tries to own everything in the world, and he's got his minions. (laughs) Minions. I always think of the yellow ones, but no, no, the the (laughs) demons. He has demons all over the world, and they're doing his bidding, and he's very organized, as we're finding out in Ephesians chapter 6. Very organized, but he has very little power. He is not Omniscient. He is not omnipotent. He is not omnipresent. Think about that one. Satan can only be in one place at one time. Only. God is everywhere at once. That's what the Bible teaches. He's not like you and me. He's the creator, he's God. But Satan is very, very limited. He's not like God. Martin Luther said this I like this. Look at this quote The devil is the Lord's devil. I love that. He's the Lord's devil. He's under the sovereignty of God. He can only function as God allows. Limited, extremely limited under God's, and God uses him for his own purposes. So I'm gonna end right there, and I've got another couple points, but I'm gonna end right there tonight because I just wanna take a moment to pray. We We have an adversary. It is the devil. Our worldview as believers is that sin came into this world because of God's created beings, angels and humankind, because of their choice. Not because sin did not, evil did not originate with God. There is no evil in God. It couldn't happen. But God's creation, angels, some of them by choice, man, we'll find out more about man and his flesh next week. Lord, we just thank you for this time in the Word. I just pray for the believers here tonight that we would have the proper worldview, that we would understand that there is no darkness in you. You didn't create evil, but evil does exist, and it's not material. It's sin. It's lawlessness. It's deliberate choice against you and your ways and your standards. God, help us. Thank you for forgiving us of our sin and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for translating us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Thank you, God, for all that you've done to save us. I pray for all of these people here tonight that everyone would know that forgiveness. If you don't know the forgiveness of your sins, put your faith in Jesus and be saved. Know the mercy and grace of God. Just embrace christ and believe and as you do you'll be forgiven and lord for those of us that are forgiven we're so grateful we're thankful that sin has no power over us you've given us the ability to choose to live righteously to stand in truth to arm ourselves correctly for battle you've given us everything that we need to be victorious i pray that you'd bless these now your people Cause them to to go out with joy and, and like the Scripture says, be led forth with peace. Bless their days. Give them strength. And any that are being oppressed by Satan or his minions, Lord, deliver them and help them. Help them, Lord, to know that you've forgiven them and they're walking in, in the light now. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.